This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Let's get going. All right, if you got your Bible, go to 2 Chronicles chapter 21. 2 Chronicles chapter 21. About, I don't know, it was probably four or five months ago that, that me and Josh Romano started talking a little bit about men's retreat, and he, he shared with me the theme that he felt like God put on his heart. And at that time, I immediately had a word kind of pop up. I talked to him about it a little bit. And yet there was a little bit of resistance to this word. And I think you'll understand when I share the word with you, it's the word insecurity. Insecurity. And insecurity is not one of those words that like, Typically, you hear like a men's conference or a men's kind of hangout day, and it's like, we're going to tackle our insecurity. Like, that's not, in fact, I, I was looking on Monday, I got on, I got on Google, and was, I just was curious as to what people are calling like men's conferences, men's retreats. The number one, the number one thing is man up. Man up, right? That's the number, like there's, there's about 40 conferences happening this weekend called Man Up. Man up. Or there was like, there's one I thought was kind of interesting. Marvel men. And it's themed around like, you know, being like a superhero kind of Marvel, like Marvel men. And, and in a way, it's kind of like, yeah, like I like, like that sounds a little bit more on, you know, fun than insecurity. <laughs> and yet, but it's, it's interesting though, as I got into this and I started praying over it and studying it and meditating on this idea it became so clear to me, oh my gosh, this is such a major issue. You know, one of the, one of the things, like, let's take the concept of man up, right? That, that idea, we've heard it before. Someone's maybe said it to you. It's maybe been spoken over you, and it's actually a painful phrase for you, maybe. Maybe it was something that was said to you by a father in a moment where you were being weak or, or displaying something. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've said it to my own son before. Like, we, we hear this. Our coaches tell us this. And then it's just, hey, man, it's, it's the idea is like, hey, you can do better than this. Come on, man up. Like, step up. Do, pull yourself together and man up. Now, the, the, the phrase is not, like, the idea behind the phrase is not the worst thing. It's, it's the, really the problem is in how we pull it off. Like, what we think it takes to actually do that is, is here's what we think man up means. Man up means, okay, shut up. Pull it up, pull yourself together, pull yourself together. You do this, pull yourself together. Quit griping, quit complaining, quit talking about or dealing with the issues that are really going on in your heart. Tighten up your bootlaces, say three times I got this, and then go, go trudge along, right? And, but, but, but when you really study scripture and you get into the word of God, there's obviously men in the Bible that we look at them and we say, man, that guy, that guy did something great. That guy did something significant. That guy, he manned up, Right? But what we see in the, in the heart of great men in the Bible, great men in Scripture who did great things for God, is most of them, when it, when it comes to this idea of manning up, it wasn't that they were just able to kind of like tie up their boots tight enough and get it done in their own strength, right? What happened was they, they recognized their dependency on God. And, they, and from that place, they recognized, including Jesus, recognized his role as a son and his call in sonship through God to do what God's calling him to do. And so as we, I, I believe that some of you are going to be like manned up this weekend, but, but, but let, me, let me kind of put it to you this way. Oftentimes manning up starts by admitting man down. And maybe for some of you, the most man up thing you're going to do this weekend is you're going to be willing to get in a group and say, hey, man down over here. Like I'm struggling. I'm afraid. Anxiety is gripping my soul. I'm, I'm over here, man. I'm, I'm looking at stuff I should not be looking at. I'm doing stuff over here. I've got a relationship. I've got something that I've been, I'm entertaining over here that I know is wrong. I know it's evil. And I'm keeping it to, I, I've, so far I haven't kept, I've just kept it to myself, but it's time to call it what it is. And I, like, let's get real with it. Like, let's not call it like, hey, you know, I'm flirting with a girl in the office. Like, let's call it, hey, I'm taking steps towards adultery. Let's not call it, hey, man, I'm struggling a little bit with lust. Let's call it, hey, I'm looking at porn and I'm masturbating. Can we get real, men? 
Like, like let, let's just fully, like, fully put this stuff out there so that we can get the healing from, from God and from the men of God that are around us. And let's, let's expose this stuff. And let's expose it. Me and Mike McGregor were talking about this a little bit earlier. It's one thing to have accountability in your life. It's one thing to have accountability where it can hurt you. Like, it's one thing to kind of share with a few guys this weekend, hey, this is going on in my life. It's another thing to take the next step and to share it with someone like your wife, like your fiance, like your girlfriend, like, like someone in the church that you know has the ability to say, hey, it's time for you to take a seat for a little bit while we get this fixed. But let's, let's, let's just go there because if we are truly going to become the men that God's called us to be and go where God wants us to go, we're going to have to get real. So you down for getting real this weekend? Like, let's get real. I'm telling you, on the other side of that is freedom. On the other side of recognizing I'm a son of God, God has a higher call for me than this, and I can do this with his help, not in my own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. We'll talk more about that as we get along here. But, but I believe God wants to help you to do what he's called you to do this morning. Amen? So let's pray, and then let's, let's get into the word here. Lord, we just come to you right now, and we just ask you to show up and anoint this moment. And, and be present in this place. And beyond just a, 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 another talk on manhood, Lord, I pray that this would be a moment of uh, exposure and revelation and wisdom where you communicate your heart to people and that you would bring freedom and wisdom and revelation in such a way that life change can actually be discovered and experienced. Lord, we, we've run a lot of plays in our life, and, and a lot of these plays we've run, they, they haven't worked, and we're willing to admit that. Our ways don't work. We know that. And so, God, we come to you today, and we say, show us where we're off. Show us where we need healing. Show us where we put the wrong stuff in our heart, where we've, we want to dethrone anything in our heart that we've put in our heart that could be keeping us from who it is you've called us to be, Lord Jesus. We want to be better men, better husbands, better fathers. And so, Lord, I just thank you for all these people who have sown their time into this, and I pray that this would be unbelievably fruitful for them today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Oftentimes, manning up starts with admitting man down. And, and I think related to that, this issue of insecurity is like right at the heart of what so many of us struggle with in our life. Insecurity affects us in great, great ways. And yet we don't really, especially as men, don't really like to talk about it very much. In fact, it's, the thing that's interesting about insecurity is we don't want to admit we're insecure because our insecurity keeps us from wanting to admit we're feeling feelings of insecure. So it's, it's, it's very similar to pride in that it, the, the issue itself keeps us from revealing what we need to reveal to, keep, to give us freedom from the issue. So the fact that we're insecure causes us to go, I'm not insecure. <laughs> but in reality, we're very insecure. And there's stuff in us that, that we don't want to deal with. And, and so what we do is we'll, we'll categorize it. And here's how we categorize insecurity. A lot of times we categorize it as kind of like, oh, this is just kind of a me issue. This is a me problem. This is a me. How, how manly is it that I'm talking right now? And there's like gunshots going off. Like what? That's awesome. But we, we, we categorize our insecurity specific to like this idea of like okay so this is a problem but it's really it's a me problem and I can deal with this I can kind of get through this if I can just man up and get through it but the bigger issue with insecurity is 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 really at the heart of it it's not just a you problem it's really a, it's a you and God problem and specifically like when you're dealing with insecurity you're not just doubting putting doubt in yourself that you're trying to kind of overcome you're actually doubting God. You're, you're doubting the work of the cross in your life. You're doubting the power of the value, here, here, the value that God puts on your life. The fact that Jesus came speaks to this incredible value that God puts on your life, and yet insecurity causes us to go, this is a me thing, this is a me value problem, when really part of our insecure issues, we don't see how much God values us. We don't recognize how much God loves us and so we we pack it all away and we hide it all away so second chronicles chapter 21 i encourage you to read along with me as i do this today 
we got this king. His name is Jehoram. And he's set in, in as the king of Judah. Now, as he gets set in as the king, he finds himself in a very unique and, and very, uh, really a great position. He's handed over a kingdom that is at peace. His, his father is a guy named Jehoshaphat. Many of you have heard of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king who led the, the, the people of Israel out against this battle. They had all these enemy armies coming against them. And what does he do? He leads them out and he puts the worshipers out front. So instead of bringing out their strongest men out front, they put the worshipers up front. You know the story. They show up on the battlefield and all of the enemy armies are destroyed and they just go in and plunder. Like that's kind of Jehoshaphat. In a time when, when the heart of many of people of Israel specifically and Judah was away from God, he came and he lifts up this new standard and says, no, we're going we're gonna to worship God. He wasn't perfect, but he did a lot to honor God. And because of that, the Bible says this about him in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 30, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. That word rest is the Hebrew word nua. It means that there was no interference. Okay, so he's, he's the king of Judah, and when he hands over the kingdom, or he dies, and the kingdom is handed over to his son, what his son receives from him is a kingdom of rest, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom that has no interference coming at it from any side. So he's got, he inherits this. It's a good kingdom to inherit, right? Beyond that, uh, Jehoram is the great, 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 great grandson, six generations back, of David. David is his great-grandfather. And so he has grown up hearing about the stories of David. Out of those stories, he'd heard, he's heard stories of David's ability to overcome insecurity. I mean, think about David. Like, David is out in the field with the sheep. What happens? Jesse, his, his father, brings in all the sons to say which one of the sons is going to be anointed, the king. And he doesn't even bring David in. When, when, he's, when, when, Je, when the prophet says, hey, where's, is this all your sons? What does he say? He says, well, there's, there's one more, but... He's out in the field. He doesn't even call him by name, and he kind of downgrades what he's doing at the time. So can you imagine the, the insecurity that David might have felt because of that? A little bit later, David you know, does all the stuff that he does. He defeats Goliath. He becomes kind of friends with Saul. Saul becomes his mentor to, to, to a degree. And then Saul begins to start getting jealous of him because Saul, because of his insecurity, starts seeing stuff in David that he says, ah, that's better than me. That's greater than me. I don't like that. And so what does he do? He starts coming after David. And so he's heard the stories of David and who David became and how David overcome, overcame all this insecurity. He's had, he's had the Psalms. He's had the Proverbs. He's had all of the, the Psalms that speak to the faithfulness of God and, and the Proverbs that speak of all the wisdom of God. He's got all of that. So he's got all this. He's got a lot of wisdom. He's got a lot of revelation. He's got a lot of understanding about who God is. He's handed a kingdom of peace. And yet because of his insecurity, we see something displayed out of his life immediately when he receives the kingdom. Look at this. This is verse 4, 2 Chronicles 21. Verse 4, when Jehoram established himself firmly, I'll talk more about what that means, over his father's kingdom, a kingdom that was at peace, he put all his brothers to the sword along with some of the officials of Israel. Now remember, it's a kingdom at rest, a kingdom at peace. It doesn't say anything that they were trying to get him, they were trying to kill him. He just puts them to the sword. Why? Because he is so insecure. He's so insecure. He's so bothered by the fact that he sees something in them that he looks at and he says, ah, I don't, I don't quite measure up, that it causes him to pull out the sword and to slay them. In verse 12, the prophet Elijah writes him this letter. And in this letter, he, he, he writes him, he, he talks about what's going to happen to him. And he also, because he's, he's prophesying, he's speaking for God, he's also revealing some of what's actually going on in his heart. This is what the Lord says, verse 12, the God of your father David you have not allowed the ways of your father Jehoshaphat or the, of the king of Judah, Asa, but you have followed the ways of the kings of Israel and you have led Judah and the people of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves just as the house of Ahab did. You also uh, murdered your own brothers, members of your own family. Now look at this next line. Men who were better than you. Now when he says that, he's not saying they're actually better than you. What he's saying is that's what you thought. You murdered these men because you thought they were better than you, and you wanted them out of the picture. Verse 14, so now the Lord is about to strike you and your sons and your wives and everything that is yours with a heavy blow. You yourself will be ill, look at this, with a lingering disease of the bowels until the disease causes your bowels to come out. 
Somebody say, yikes. Verse 18, after all this, the Lord afflicted Jehoram with an incurable disease of the bowels. In the course of time, at the end of the second year, his bowels came out because of the disease, and he died in great pain. Now look at this. His people made no funeral fire in his honor, as they did for his predecessors. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem for eight years. He passed away, look at this, to no one's regret, and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. God, God led me to the story, and there's, there's a couple things I want you to see. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Insecurity sabotages you. That's what we see in the life of Jehoram. Insecurity sabotages you. Because of the insecurity in him, because he felt like he didn't measure up, he, he began to align himself with the wrong people and disconnect from the right people. He aligns himself, he disaligns himself from the people who would be his allies, who should be his allies, and he begins to connect with people and align himself with people that he should see as his enemies. It says in verse 4, he established himself firmly over his father's kingdom. If you read in 2 Kings, uh, we, we have a little bit more revelation into what Jehoram was doing, what that actually means. He, what he did was he aligned himself with the kingdom of Israel. And at the, in the kingdom of Israel was being led at this time by Ahab. Ahab was a wicked man, a very wicked man. But he aligns himself with, ah, with Ahab. He marries his daughter. Ahab is the guy who, who married Jezebel. Uh, you, you hear that name and you're like, oh, him, yeah. He's the guy who, <laughs> he's the guy who had uh, the prophets of God murdered in Israel. He's the guy who had all of the altars of God pulled down. He set up altars to Asherah and Baal. In fact, he established Asherah and Baal, false gods, as the national gods of Israel at this time. So he has led Israel to what the, what the verse says, to prostituting themselves. And now Jehoram is aligning with him. He should see that and him as an enemy. His father was Jehoshaphat. He knows better. But the insecurity in him causes him to want to align with them and to take the sword and to slay his brothers. He aligns himself with his enemies and he sees his allies, his brothers, the leaders of Israel, who should be the ones he's bringing in, that maybe they do have some wisdom he doesn't have. And maybe instead of cutting them down and cutting them out, he needs to pull on them and pull them into his life to help him lead because he's a young king. But instead, because of insecurity, he just cuts them off. Insecurity sabotages you. It begins to twist you on the inside to see things the wrong way. To see the right things the wrong way. To, to align yourself with enemies. And I, as I was thinking about this this week, I bet you some of you, even now, maybe this is a kind of a barf bag moment for you. Where you can look at your life and you go, you know what, I've aligned myself with some stuff that I know is an enemy to my soul. Because of insecurity. Because I don't feel like I'm enough. I come home and I drink till I'm in a stupor. Because I, I don't feel like I'm actually enough to my wife. I come home and I, I, I look at pornography. I do this over here because it makes me feel like I can have what I want the way I want it. I've aligned myself with some stuff that I know is, is wrong. But because of my insecurity, I've aligned myself with enemies to my soul, enemies to my heart. Stuff that's actually destroying me and twisting me on the inside. It's time to dis align ourselves from that stuff align ourselves with the kingdom of god insecurity sabotages you here's the second thing i see insecurity leads to death leads to death it says the disease that he receives causes his bowels to come out now this is one of these old testament stories where god does something really interesting we see this a few times in scripture where god does something he he's illustrating a greater truth in an actual reality that he brings about. So there's, there's what is being done, like literally being done, what's literally happening, but there's a figurative truth of what happens in all of us that we can look at. So, so what happens here? Well, one of the things you need to understand is bowels in the Bible symbolize the inner motivating emotions of our life. Uh, bowels are a picture of the strong feelings that move us to action. Strong feelings. 
I, I, there was a movie when I was younger I, I saw called Young Guns 2. Anybody see this movie? There's a guy, you guys remember him? He's a newspaper writer that's on the plane, and he would need to go to the bathroom, and he would say, I need to take a movement. I've got to have a movement. And he was talking about his bowels were moving, right? And he needed to get off the horse, and he needed to find And you've all been there before, where your bowels start moving. And it's an inner motivating emotion. I remember, it's men's retreat, so I can get real with you. I remember being in high school, and man, I ate so bad. I ate so bad in high school. Oh my gosh, I ate fast food like for every meal. And it was, it was a very normal thing for me to like after school, go to the gym, work out, lifting, doing all this stuff, and then driving home and go to Wendy's and get five Junior Bacon Cheeseburgers. Or go to Long John Silver's and get three chicken planks with two more fish planks and a dozen shrimp. It was like 20 bucks in, the, in 1996. This would be like a $50 fast food meal now. And then I was going to movies a lot. I, I saw at least one movie a week, sometimes more, because I loved movies. And uh, every time I go to the movies, every time, I mean, a large popcorn, a box of Sour Patch Kids and a soda, and I finish it every time. And so there would be, there would be a moment that would happen about once every 10 days or so when my body had had enough and I would be like leaving a movie and driving home and all of a sudden it was like, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and like you get sweaty and it's like, oh, everything clinches. And it's a race. It's a race to get home, a race. And I'm like standing in the car so I can tighten. Some of you know, that's why you're laughing. You've been there before. Because if you don't clinch, oh. Here's my point. There is an inner motivating thing happening in my bowels that's, that now everything is driven by that. Are you, are you tracking? There's an inner, like th that's, that's this picture here. Something's going on inside, and what's happening inside is driving what's happening on the outside. That's what we see in this. So symbolically, what we see in, in, in Jehoram are these actions that are taking place in his life, cutting people, murdering people, aligning with the wrong stuff, what that shows us is that's the inner motivating emotion that's driving him, and it's insecurity that's driving him towards all of that. Insecurity is within, it's, it's in his guts, it's in his bowels, it's gotten down deep inside of him, and now it's twisting and turning everything around where he's seeing things the wrong way. So get this, before his bowels physically come out, his bowels symbolically come out in the form of insecurity. The, motiva the motivating emotion of insecurity comes out. And then, literally, his bowels come out. And I, I, read, I was studying this this week, and it's, it's disgusting, so, so hang on here. What happens to him is what's called a rectal prolapse. This occurs when the rectum turns itself inside out and comes out through the anus. <laughs> Pretty bad, right? Uh, one commentary I read, I thought this was funny. It said he died of a fatal case of hemorrhoids. That's a fatal case of hemorrhoids. And it was agonizing. The Bible says in verse 19, he died in great pain. He died in great pain. Insecurity leads to death, gross death. It leads to nasty, gross stuff coming out of your life that's not supposed to come out of your life. It leads to stuff getting twisted up inside of you. When I was reading this this week and studying this, and I just, it's, it's, yeah. There was a few moments where I'm just going, good Lord, like, this is disgusting. Like, you ever read it sometimes in the Bible and you're like, was that necessary? These de some of these details, were these necessary, Lord? And I'm reading it and I'm going, this is so gross. And then I felt like the Lord was kind of like, yeah, now you're starting to see insecurity the way I see it. Sometimes we see insecurities, oh, it's, just me, it's just a little me issue. But God looks at it and he says, no, this is a big issue. This is something that needs to be dealt with because it's disgusting. You were not designed by God to have insecurity ruling and reigning in your heart, dominating down in your guts to the point that it's twisting you and turning you and making stuff come out of you that is not a picture of the Son of God. That's not what God designed for you. So Jehoram, in his inner life, his inner being, is so diseased with insecurity that it's rotting him. It's eroded him. It's killing him. And that's what insecurity does. It erodes away, doesn't it? It erodes away at our relationships. It erodes away at our confidence. It erodes away at our self-image. 
it erodes away at just it erodes away at just the ability for us to say, you know what? Let's go. Let's like get up and let's tackle the day. This insecurity in us makes us say, ah, I just want to not. Just would rather not. Insecurity sabotages you. Insecurity leads to death. What he entertained in his mind did damage in his gut. And you know what's really interesting? They, they talk about this, like scientifically, there is a tie and a communication line between your gut and your mind. Like there's, there's actually something going on there. Um, some of you have heard these cliches before. You, and, and you've even felt this to a degree. Like you get some news and it's like, oh, it was like a kick in the gut. Or, man, my stomach, like I heard that thing or something happened and I was just... I felt like I was just tied up in knots. Like there's this feeling we get deep within us. And there's a reason for that. It's called, there's a thing called the gut-brain axis. They say the gut-brain axis is a bi-directional communication system between the brain and the gut. Studies have demonstrated that emotional distress, including insecurity, can disrupt this communication, leading to gastrointestinal symptoms and disorders. So what happens in your mind can ne negatively in impact your gut. And that's what God shows us in this story. There's stuff in this guy's mind that he's allowing to rest in his mind, that he's entertaining in his mind, that he's letting have a place in his mind, and it's disgusting. And now it's twisting up and turning inside out his insides and causing them to come out in disgusting ways. You, you, you get this insecurity leads to death. It leads to ugly, painful, gross death in your life. And then beyond that, insecurity is its primary action. Here's the third thing. Insecurity's primary action is cutting. It's cutting. The first thing that this king does out of insecurity is he pulls out the sword. And, and, and really, I, I think this is kind of a way for us to discover where maybe we're dealing with some insecurity. Is where are we pulling out the sword? Where do we find ourselves needing to cut down, cut out, and cut off? Do we find ourselves in, in areas where there's people and we see something in them and we feel there's just something in us that feels like we have to cut them down? We have to cut them down to size. We have to maybe cut them off because it's just they're, they're, that, that, that the sword comes out because of our insecurity. And we begin to think, I need to eliminate them. I need to cut them off. I need to, to cut them out. I need to find a way to kind of villainize them in my mind so I can make an excuse for why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll unfollow you. I'll, I'll, I'll disconnect from you. I will, like, call, you know, cancel culture you, like, whatever it is. I'll, I'll get you out of my life because, because I, I got to cut you off. Insecurity is coming out of me. Insecurity doesn't show up. Uh, or insecurity shows up in stuff like hypersensitivity, negativity, jealousy, anger, backbiting, being territorial, jumping to conclusions. But what we see in the story is it's impossible for you to cut others and not hurt yourself. One, he disconnects himself from the very people that he really should be aligning himself with. And in the process of doing this, He's allowing stuff into his mind that's actually poisoning his soul and doing damage to him. And in him, it physically kills him. And in us, what we don't realize is it's emotionally killing us. It's spiritually killing us. We're not just cutting off them. We're cutting off God. We think we're cutting off a brother over here. But what we're really cutting off is an avenue through which sometimes God wants to speak to us. And we're doing damage to our own soul. And in the end, it kills him. And he dies alone. It says he dies to no one's regret. No one cared about him. Okay, so here's Jehoram. There's a kingdom for him to receive. It's a kingdom of peace. See if some of this sounds familiar. It's a kingdom that someone went before him and made it possible for him to step into. He's got the wisdom of the scripture. He's got all that. But as he steps into this, because of his great insecurity, he doesn't receive of what's there. He cuts off what's there. And he gets twisted up inside Ugly stuff comes out of him, a sword comes out of him, and he dies alone, and he dies having really, having no impact in the kingdom like he should have had. And I, and I think we all deal with this because at, at a certain level, we find ourselves, here, here's kind of what we do with insecurity. We find ourselves in this place where we feel like we don't measure up in some area. Anybody relate to this? Uh, when I was in high school, 
or not high school. I was, actually, this was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was really small growing up. I was always like the smallest boy in my class, and I hated it. I was a front row sports picture person. Any front row sports picture people in here? A few of you? <laughs> yeah. It's like you and a, maybe one other boy and a bunch of girls, and you're kneeling. It's annoying. And I would always be like, man, I want to be in that back row. I want to be in that back row. I hated being short. And then I hated going to church. It was extra because I'd go to church, and all of my friends at church were a few years younger than, or a few years older than me. So one of my friends was four years older than me. He had a brother. His brother was three years older than me. And then another one of my friends was two years older than me. And so growing up, um, and all of them, like, turned into giants when they hit eighth grade. And so they're older than me, and they're growing before me. And so now, like, and, and I'm telling you, when I say giants, like, one of them was 6'4", the other one was 6'3", the other one was 6'1", and I am, no joke, 5'2". So we would stand in church. I remember I, I hated standing in church in worship beside these guys. Somehow I would find myself like in between them, and I just felt like the little brother or the little sister sometimes, you know? Like the, shor the shortest one of them, I'm in seventh grade, is a, a full foot taller than me. And it was just, I don't know, it bothered me. And so I, I started doing something during worship. I'd be in worship, and I would start slipping my shoes off like this to the back of my heels so I could gain a few inches. And I would stand in worship like this. And so you kind of have to strike that balance of doing that, making sure no one's really seeing that you're doing this. And then also, you know, about 20 minutes into this, it starts to burn a little bit because you're basically on your tippy toes. So I did this for years. And then finally, I hit, I hit ninth grade. And thank the Lord. It didn't happen right away. But right as I got to the end of my ninth grade year, over a four-month period, I grew seven inches. And, uh, and then over about, I think about seven-month period, I grew nine inches. So I was 6'1". So now, like, all of a sudden, I've exploded. I'm, I'm tall. I'm like them, you know? Not huge, but I'm, I'm right there with them. And I remember going to church and standing beside them and being, like, right there with them. And yet I found myself still pulling out my shoes and doing this so I could gain a little bit of height. And then I remember thinking one day, you know what, this could get weird. Because like this guy, why am I taller than him in worship, but then when we're everywhere else, I'm not? <laughs> and so I was like, I better, I, I better stop doing that. So let's fast forward 19 years. <laughs> and I'm in Oklahoma City, and I'm driving around one day, and I'm going to these different hotels in the city because I'm looking for a place to have these interest meetings that we're going to have. And so I've got all of these meetings booked up to go to these hotels, to meet with the managers, to see the spaces they have so that we can have these meetings to kind of invite people to be a part of our church. And I go into these different spaces and I see several of them and just nothing is lining up, nothing's looking right. And all of a sudden these doubts start to creep in. And I start finding myself going, is this gonna work? And I'm driving by and I'm over there by Quail Springs Mall, I'm driving by and there's a church right down the street called Crossings and it's huge. And life churches here, and all these, and I'm just kind of going, what are we? Do what am I doing? Is this even a thing? Like, who am I to think? I'm over here looking at these little hotel rooms, trying to get together a, like what? And all of this stuff, and the enemy just starts attacking me with like, you can't do this. What are you thinking? This is crazy. So I know enough. I know enough. I've been around long enough to know. Okay, this I know God's. I, I knew God had called us, and I'm having a moment where insecurity's rising up. And so I just like, okay. So I, I, I put on some music in my car, and I start praying, and I start worshiping, and just driving around over there by the mall. And as I'm doing it, all of a sudden, God starts speaking to me, like he does in thoughts, unpacking so much in just a few, you know, you know what I mean, those kind of God thoughts. And, and, and so I'm, I'm praying, and I'm worshiping, connecting with the Lord, just thinking about him. That's what I'm doing. I'm turning my focus on him. Not, not, not really like, God, I need you to give me a word. That wasn't what I was after. I, was just, I just knew I needed to connect with the Lord. So I start doing that, and all of a sudden, God starts speaking to me. And he takes me back to my tippy-toe days. And he takes me back to being as tall as I am now, and yet standing alongside my brothers, my friends, and feeling like I'm not big enough. And he just reveals to me in this moment, he said, hey, you were tall enough, and yet 
Even though you were big outside, you felt small inside. And, and that's how it is. If you, if you are, you can have every, like, sometimes I've, I've talked to men before, and you're talking to them, you're like, oh, my gosh, how do you feel this way about you? Like, there's so much in you. How do you not see it? But, but because on the inside you feel small, that's how you, you carry yourself, and that's where your faith is, and that's where you're going to live. And here's what God showed me. He said, hey, you were in worship. You weren't supposed to be focused on you. You weren't supposed to be thinking about you and your height and how you measured up. You were supposed to be focused on me. And here's the thing. If you'll focus on me, if you'll put your eyes on me, you'll be big enough for the assignment. In yourself, you'll always, you're always going to fall short. But if you'll, look, if you'll look to me and you'll focus on me, I'll get you where you need to go. But, but here's, here's the thing about insecurity. Here, here's the lie of insecurity. You might want to write this down. Here's the lie. I can't because I'm not. I can't because I'm not. That's what insecurity lies to you. Think about all these men in the Bible, great men of God. Moses, right? God comes to him with a burning bush and says, I want to use you to be a voice of a generation. You're going to be used to set my people free. And what does he say? I, I can't. Why? Because I'm not eloquent in speech. I, I have a stuttering problem. I can't. I can't because I'm not a good communicator. Remember Gideon. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, you've been chosen by God to lead the Israelites out of battle against the Midianites. What does he say? Well, my clan is the, is the weakest and I'm the least among my clan. He says, I can't because I, I'm not of a great family line. I can't because I, I don't have it in me. I'm not enough. I think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet that God's going to use to speak the words of the Lord. And before he ever prophesies, God comes to him and says, angel comes to him and says, I'm going to raise you up to be a prophet. Jeremiah says, I, I, I can't because I'm, I'm not old enough. I can't because I'm, I'm not. This is, the, this is the lie of insecurity. But, but the freedom that comes in knowing God and having God on your side is this. It's not about I can because I can. I can because I am. True freedom that comes in Christ is I can because he can. That's, what we that's where we have to get to. It's not that I can do this in my own ability. It's that I can do whatever it is that God is inviting me to do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do whatever it is God's inviting me to do. Whatever God's calling me to do, I can do it. Not because I can do it, but because he can do it through me. He can do it through me. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm not great because I'm great. I'm great because I serve a great God. I'm not great because I'm great. I'm great because I serve a great God. Somebody say amen. amen. You need to know that today. Because here's the reality that every one of us find ourselves living into today. You are not enough. You are not enough. You don't measure up in your own ability, in your own strength. You don't have what it takes. You cannot get it done on your own. If you could, Jesus would not have come. If you could just make it happen on your own, apart from God... Why would Jesus come and die on the cross? If there was an ability within you to get this right and make it happen, Jesus wouldn't have come and gone through what he went through. But he came. The fact that he came and did what he did speaks to the fact that you can't do this without him. So he came, and what did he do? He did what you couldn't do. He lived a perfect life. He measured up. He was able to achieve perfection before the Father. And then he, because he lived a perfect life, he was able to die a perfect death, take on the sins of the world that were not owed him. And now through him, we can receive what's not owed us. And now through him, we can measure up. Colossians 2 says this, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives both in, in bodily form. In other words, Jesus wasn't just some great man, some great prophet. He was the fullness of the deity in the form of a body. In the form of a man. He's, he's God, right? He's God. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. You've been brought to that great God. You've been brought into connection with him. He is the head over every power and authority. And since he's with you and he's the head over every power and authority, guess what? Now through him, you measure up. Because he measures up to any challenge, any, any, any problem, any issue you might face. He measures up to it. And now he's with you. You measure up through him. So, so what we have to recognize is it's, it's this. It's eyes off you, eyes on God. Just like what God showed me. Hey, take your eyes off of you. Because if your eyes are on you, you're always going to find an area within you where you say, I don't measure up to them. But if you'll put your eyes on God... 
and remind yourself of who he is, then whatever you face, you can always say, he measures up to whatever challenge I may have. I love the, the story of Joseph. We see this at work in the life of Joseph. Remember Joseph? Joseph was the, the son who was given the coat of many colors. He was the favorite. He was a tattletale. He didn't have it all when he was young. He didn't have it all figured out. Some of you young guys, there's some work God's doing in you. He's working some stuff out of you, working some stuff into you. Be, be, be willing to sit in that with him as he trains you and prepares you. Just because he gives you a dream doesn't mean you're going to step into it tomorrow. There's some work, some things that need to be done within you. But he has his dream. He has these dreams. He tells them because he doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut because he's young. He doesn't know. And he makes his brothers mad. He ticks them off. He's a tattletale. He's a dreamer. And so they, they throw him in a pit, right? And he gets sold into slavery. And he finds himself in the house of this guy named Potiphar. And it says this in Genesis 39, in verse 2, it says, And God was with Joseph. And it says this, His master Potiphar recognized that God was with him. Now, I would always read that and I would think, well, he recognized that because of what it goes on to say. It says that things were very well with him. He, he saw God working good in everything that he did. And that's true. He could see the hand of God on his life. But more than that, if you go back to the original text of what it says, it gives us a greater glimpse into what's really going on here. It says that Potiphar saw that the Yahweh was with him and that the Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Now, Yahweh is the Hebrew God of the Israelite people. Potiphar don't know him. Potiphar's an Egyptian. He has 2,000 gods that he worships. God is not a personal thing to him at all. And yet he looks at the life of Joseph and he sees a God that's not in his list at work in his life. And he says, the Yahweh, the Hebrew God, is with this guy. The Hebrew God is making him succeed. How does, how does he know? God is not a personal thing to him. How does he know this? You know how he knows it? Joseph makes it known. Joseph worships Yahweh. Because Joseph talks about Yahweh. Because Joseph gets credit to Yahweh. Because Joseph's eyes are on Yahweh. All that Joseph does is blessed. Now you fast forward. Okay, so his eyes are on God, right? In the middle of his problems, his eyes are on God. You fast forward to Genesis chapter 43. Joseph is in this prominent place now. He is now over, he's the second most powerful man in the most powerful kingdom in the world. And there's a famine in the land and he is over the, the, the food being distributed to all the people that need it. And one day, some, some people walk into his room needing food, and it's his brothers, the brothers that sold him into slavery. And it says this in Genesis 43, verse 30. Deeply moved at the sight of his brothers, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. In the King James, the original King James, it says this, and Joseph made haste for his bowels did yearn upon his brothers. Remember what bowels are? Inner motivating emotion. When he saw his brothers, there is an inner motivating emotion that begins to stir within him. That's starting to now drive him because he sees his brothers. Now, remember, his brothers sold him into slavery. He's in a good place now, but it's not. In some ways, he could look at them and say, you've wrecked my life. It's because of them that, that false accusations were brought against him. It was because of them that he was separated from his family when he was young. It's because of them that he was in prison for years. It's because of them. He, he's doing better, but it's because of them that there's been a lot of pain in his life, right? And it says here that if you follow the story, it says that over and over again, he would leave and he would go to a private place to, to weep. But here's the thing. When he would go to weep, it was not tears of anger. Now, you see in the story that he does put them through some tests. And part of him putting through th them through some tests is he has to know, because this desire is within them. him. Here's the desire, compassion. I want to bring them back in. But i got to run some tests on these guys because i got to know that they've changed. Because what they did to me was wrong. But I, I so, the inner emotion in me so wants to bring them back in that it's driving him to weep compassion. And so what does he do? He eventually, after taking through this test, he, sit, he gives him a seat at the table. He, give, he gives him the king's portions. He gives them a place in his family. He gives them everything that they need. He provides for them. He doesn't pull out the sword off with their heads. He has a right to that, and he could have, but he doesn't do that. 
He gives him a seat at the table. Compassion. The inner motivating emotion within him was compassion. Why? Because his eyes were on God, not on himself. His eyes were on God. And from that place, he was able to be moved with compassion. You know, that's one of the things they said about Jesus. Seven times in scripture, Jesus was moved with compassion. And you see Jesus even being moved with compassion in moments of great insecurity. Think about the cross. Think about the insecurity that he probably felt at the cross. Being spit on, being mocked, having every friend turn away, being completely abandoned. He's hung on a cross, naked, like the pictures have a loincloth. That wasn't there, my friends. He's completely exposed, naked, hanging on a cross, bleeding, with a, with a sign over his head that says, Hail the King of the Jews. I mean, the insecurity he could have felt in that moment. He, he has the right to pull out the sword, but what do we see him? He's saying stuff like, you'll have a seat with me in paradise today. Compassion. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Compassion. Why? Because his eyes are on the Father. His eyes are on the Father. And his, because his eyes are on the Father, his eyes are on the will of the Father. And because his eyes are on the will of the Father, his eyes are on you. His eyes are on you. I'm going to go ahead and ask for keys to come up. He's thinking about you, and he's moved with compassion. The very ones that put him on the cross. He's thinking about us, and he's moved with compassion. And what is produced out of this is the opposite of what insecurity leads to. Insecurity ties us up. Insecurity causes us to be twisted in our thinking. It causes our guts to be twisted up and things to come out of us that are ugly. It causes us to pull out the sword. It causes us to see people the wrong way, align ourselves with the wrong way. Well, what does Jesus do? He comes along and he produces freedom. He produces life. He produces relationship. He produces the ability for us to now be aligned with God the Father and aligned with him. We're not designed to be filled with insecurity. We're not designed to live that way. We're not designed by God to live with the motivating emotion in us that is driving us to pull out the sword and cut people off and cut people out and cut people down. And yet, it's very easy for this to happen in our hearts and in our souls. Things happen in life. We find ourselves having moments where we fall short. And so we try to prop ourselves up. But I, I believe God is saying to you, if you'll just take your eyes off yourself, there's a old song by Keith Green that I remember hearing years ago when I was kind of coming out of the grips of being addicted to pornography that just there's a line in it that just so spoke to me he says I want to thank you Lord for being patient with me and he says oh it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me and it resonated with me because there's been so much of my life where my eyes have just been on me and it is hard to see if I'm just looking at me. You're not gonna see things the right way if you're just focused on you all the time. So what do we do? We take our eyes off of us and we fix our eyes on the Lord. And we begin to give him the just due that is his. We crown him king. We say, hey, this moment, because listen, we're all in a worship moment. We live a worship moment. And we're standing besides brothers and if you start looking around, you're gonna find brothers around you that you go, oh man, they're bigger than me. They're better than me. But if you'll just look to the Lord in this worship moment and say, hey, I'm just going to look to you. I'm going to focus on you. God looks at you and he says, you got what it takes. You got what it takes. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Maybe there's some stuff that God is beginning to reveal to you. Hey, that needs to go in the bag. That insecurity that you're carrying, it needs to go in the bag. Those, those words that were spoken over you, I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, right now, that you would even right now remind these sons of God of moments where things were spoken over them, moments where someone called them irreverently to man up in some way, and they believed a lie that's caused them to stumble, that's caused them to hide. Pray, Lord, that you would reveal those, those sayings, those words like you did to me when you were showing me a 
greater truth. Lord, reveal those things so that they can put those things in the bag, those phrases that were said. But we want our hearts to be consumed and moved with compassion. Like Joseph, to where we could have the same kind of heart to see the very people like Jesus that could look at the people who hurt him and say, hey, here's a seat at the table and here's a portion and it's a king's portion. Lord, we recognize today we've received king portions. We don't deserve it. Far be it from us to withhold from somebody else what's so freely been given to us through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us to be people who give overwhelming, over-the-top, undeserving, completely crazy, ridiculous portions unto the world from you, Lord. Let us be moved with compassion. Move us with compassion. Every fiber of our being, Lord, let us be consumed. Let compassion, because our eyes are fixed on you, let it get into our guts. Let it be the inner motivating. Let us not be innerly, from our internal being motivated by insecurity to cut but Lord to be motivated with compassion to, to, let, to let out a hand and bring people in we need you Lord we need your spirit to do it we need your help we can't do this without you Lord we can't do it in our own strength we can't do it in our own mind it's by your spirit that we're able to do it and so Lord I pray that you would seal this word in every heart in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would bring this back to our remembrance. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to unpack and reveal this to each and every person in this room today. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.